Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Blake Hutchinson. He's the CEO of Flippa and man, you've been on the show here before, but I want to welcome you back. You were on in June of 2022. Welcome back to the show. I'm looking forward to this conversation. You guys have made a lot of changes since the last time we chatted. Yeah, thanks, Ron. It's really good to be back with you. I appreciated the interview last time. Good to be back now. And as you said, we've been doing a lot. Yeah, for sure. It's been a very, very big last six months. I just have you on here for the cool Australian accent. People love Australian accents here in the United States because the like we even like use British or Australian accents for our, like a higher voice talent to answer our phones and stuff because people think it's cool. We're just here for the cool accent and the unique things you call certain stuff, right? I still need to make sure I enunciate very well because us Australians can get a little bit lazy, but Americans are very good at enunciating their words to the level that you can always understand them. So we're getting better. But the people who didn't see the first show or God forbid somebody doesn't know what Flippa is, kind of give the high level view of what Flippa is and what you guys do. And then we're going to dive into some cool new stuff you're doing. Yeah, appreciate that. So we are a marketplace, the number one marketplace globally to buy and sell online businesses and digital assets. So what does that actually mean? We're on a mission to democratize the exit. All the business owners around the world who are operating digital assets and online businesses, we offer a marketplace to connect with buyers around the world. We've got advisory, we've got technology. Our mission, as I said, democratize the exit. But on the flip side of that, we're also here to help people and enable business ownership, what we might call acquisition entrepreneurship. So we sell around 12,000 online businesses and digital assets per annum. That could be a Shopify business, could be a WordPress blog, it could be an iOS or Android store, iOS or Android app. Think digital, think big tech, supporting small business, and then think about how people traditionally have wanted to buy and sell businesses, they can now do that in the marketplace context with all the support they need. It's brilliant. I was a little shocked. I was looking through your PR stuff online. You said you guys were founded in 2009, but the number that caught my eyes is 300,231. 300, There's a counter on your site on how many digital businesses sold worldwide, what it says on there. That's impressive. If you think about your average broker, I would wonder... I'm going to have to get somebody from Biz by Sell on here that does the brick and mortar. I don't know if they sell that many businesses a year. Like, I don't know if they track it, but. Yeah, so that's a really good point. I mean, certainly when we were founded, the size, the average size of a digital asset or online business was a lot smaller than it is today. So you were selling typically and historically a lot smaller businesses. That's changed quite dramatically over time. So it's not actually necessarily that we're selling more assets each year now. It's just that the assets are more mature. And so they're now revenue generating, cash flow generating assets. And we sell many, many 
10, 20, $100,000 online businesses, but we're now also selling $10 million apps, $20 million e-commerce businesses, and in some cases, 15 to $30 million online businesses. So there's a lot of activity and clearly since 2009, it's matured a lot. It's interesting. And you guys are innovative in the in this. You're always adding products and adding services to your existing products. A lot of people don't know, like you can't, you don't go to one of the brick and mortar biz by sale or something, find a website on there and them offer to help you do the due diligence, right? You have a due diligence service. Let's talk about some of the stuff you've done recently because back in June, I don't think a lot of this is here. What have you added to the website or what to your business model that's new? Yeah, a lot since June. Let's start off with data integrations because that's at the core of our business. And so uh, what do we mean by data integrations? Online businesses are great in the sense that because they are inextricably connected to some kind of sophisticated platform which underpins their operation and performance, you can tend to understand the quality and objectively assess the financials and business performance metrics. And so what we do now is we enable business owners to connect to one of 15 different integrations. So since June, we've added nine new integrations. And so that includes things like QuickBooks Online for cloud accounting, as well as Xero, which is their number one competitor worldwide. We also have Magento, BigCommerce, Shopify, Stripe, eBay, Amazon, and WooCommerce for e-com. So that means that an online business owner can pull down, connect their data, expose that data. And then on the flip side, you're giving buyers access to that data to basically make informed judgments as to the performance of the asset. So that's really critical. We have that similarly for content sites, Google Analytics, we have SEM Rush, we have a bunch of different advertising revenue sources that are plugged in as well. And you can use those for the same reasons for, to assess the asset. That's become really critical because the other thing we added, Ron, was insights. And so you can't really provide insights on an objective basis unless you have that data. And so first it was about helping business owners onboard to our platform in a more seamless way. But the second part of that was actually saying to buyers, would you like to compare assets? And that's a really important thing because if you're in the market to buy a content business, it's one thing to look at a good business. It's another thing to be able to compare one business versus another. And of course, you can do that quite well in real estate, but you can't really do that so well in in online business world. So we've made Flipper Insights and that's in its infancy. But essentially, in short, what you can do is you can look at the ask. So the price that the seller um, or the advisor has listed the asset at. And you can see how that price compares to everything else for sale, as well as everything else that has historically been sold that is similar. So that gives you some sense of whether the price is reasonable or not. And that's a really key thing for new buyers into the space. The second thing you can do is look at key metrics. So for example, in e-com, it's one thing to say I've done $50,000 in revenue per month. It's another thing to say I'm doing $50,000 in revenue per month, but my refund rate is 35%. And so now you can compare refund rates. You can compare average order value. If it's a SaaS business, you can compare churn, lifetime value, annual recurring revenue, or monthly recurring revenue. If it's a content business, you can compare page views, you can compare bounce rates, you can compare all of these different things. And that's really, really key because, of course, digital businesses are made up of metrics. It's very competitive out there, and you just want to know how something's performing. So insights was a key part. You mentioned due diligence. So we now have a 10-person team that's verifying assets when they're on board. But in addition to that, we've built a due diligence team. And the due diligence team can be armed by a prospective buyer or acquirer at any point in time 
to do a forensic due diligence on any given asset. So it's not a standard feature. It's an opt-in pay-to-play offering, but they do an exceptionally good job. Certainly for the 12,000 assets we're selling per annum, in reality, there's probably only two to 300 that are of the size where people are actually buying the forensic DD offering. But regardless, it's there. And that's part of us building out more than a marketplace, Ron, it's a bit of a market network. So what we actually are leaning toward is we're building the investment bank for the 99%. And so think about everything that you could imagine big M&A support offering, Flip is going to do that through a combination of tech as well as human-based resource. So that's been really, really compelling. I was looking at one of the, I won't say what the listing is on your site there, but you guys, the best site of data I've ever seen put together. I used to flip websites back, I'll date myself, back when it came out of Warrior Forum, right? Like you remember the Warrior Forums and stuff? I used to buy websites out of there. I would buy something that was kind of late 90s, like the the graphic user interface sucked, but they had good revenue. They had good, decent content. And now I'd update the look and feel of it. I had some more links to it. I had a partner who was really good at SEO. And then we clean it up double the revenue and then sell it because it's better looking and we'd sell it for more. So we'd buy it at like 18 months revenue and nip selling it at 24 to 36 back then. And just because it was well run and one of the, your due diligence gets my eye and the data you have catches my eye because one of the reasons I got out of it is it wasn't a big deal in the respect for money I have now and what I invest now into things, but I bought a website for around $36,000 and they had spoofed everything. They had a private link network. All their traffic was in-house, and but they created these Photoshopped images they sent me of their PayPal and everything else, and it was, just, it was all faked. It was very good, and considering I'm a trained yeah. photo guy, my military career was looking at satellite imagery. And when you do that, you kind of get into photos and stuff like that. The fool me <laughs> was really like, just thought I, would, I thought nobody was going to be able to edit a document via Photoshop and send me an edited document back then anyway. And I wouldn't be able to tell, but it was dead on. I looked at it a lot after that and the traffic dropped off a day after. I love that you're removing that. You've got these connections and you're pulling the data from the source, right? It isn't somebody's like uploading a spreadsheet and saying, this is what my financials are. It makes, two, it does two things. It alleviates the stress from somebody like me wanting to, buy something is like, am I getting into a high risk transaction here? I'm willing to pay more because I can trust the data. And it helps that seller because he's going to get more for his business because people can trust the data. They know it's, I wouldn't say hackers can do anything. I wouldn't say it can't be spoofed, but it's pretty solid. That's the data you're getting from those sources. Yeah. And that someone who really wants to screw you can screw you, but it's more difficult to doctor that type of information straight out of a platform. The other thing is if you're connecting multiple platforms, you can tend to rationalize the data. And then finally, sometimes if something's too good to be true, the key thing is benchmarking. So you, if you benchmark something and it actually looks like, wow, hang on, they're claiming a profit margin of 99%. Well, that, wow, I'm looking for a passive income, 99% profit margin. Wow. What a dream come true. Well, the reality is 99% Passive income businesses don't exist. So the data, yes, you still need some sense about, you need to sense check stuff, absolutely. But the point is that the data is there to facilitate and help you better understand the performance of the asset. And it's coming straight from the source. Yeah, one of the new things you got going on is the flip and invest. So I want to get into that. Before we do, um, what else has changed? I mean, other than the investment, we've got better insights now. We've got better tools. It seems like, are you getting more listings? Because it seems like there's a wider variety of stuff 
Yep. So we certainly have a team that's working harder to win great quality assets from around the world. And I would say that one of the things we may have done by the time we last spoke, although I must admit things go so fast here at Flipper, it's hard to recall, but we did add different currencies. And so what that did was give business owners from markets like Europe, markets like Singapore and Hong Kong, even markets like Australia, where we haven't historically focused at all because our core business is certainly American and North American centric. Um, British pound, we obviously added too. And so what that meant was Flipper was a bit more accessible and a bit more friendly to a global universe of digital asset and online business owners. And what we saw as a result of that, it's not that you couldn't list in the past, you could, but you just had to do so much heavy lift. So if, you were, if you're a British-based business owner, you'd have to convert all of your profit and loss statement and everything else into USD, which isn't actually a friendly way to build a marketplace. So those 13 currencies may have added to the diversity of assets available. And so that's certainly helped us bring better quality assets from around the world into the mix. The only other thing I would add is that we're a lot more aggressive on the marketplace integrity front, right? So just to be clear there, can sound like a negative, but it's all part of marketplace integrity. We ban almost 300 users a month, right? What does that mean? It just means that as a marketplace, we're always working on ensuring that the people who are aiming to buy and sell are there to buy and sell in a trustworthy and respectable fashion. So we continue to add resource there. Yeah, there's a couple of really cool features, Ron. So we added, we built an off-market. So out of so, curiosity, what does it take to get banned on Flipper? So there's a couple of things. There's some really obvious things, derogatory, racist, and or the like, commentary from one to another, instant ban, really basic, yeah. just gone, no tolerance whatsoever. Evidence of an effort or attempt to scam or defraud. And we actually haven't seen an example of fraud or a scam in about 18 months. So that's been really great for obvious reasons. So evidence, and we work with SIFT. So SIFT is a global uh, marketplace integrity technology solution, I think, out of San Francisco. And so that is like our spidey sense. It tells us when there might be something a little bit untoward going on. And so that's key. And then the only other thing that you know you might get is someone who is just a bit of a nuisance on the platform, frankly. Maybe they, they try to do, they've got six deals underway. It looks like they've got intent and they're really just trying to discover what might be going on in a particular business. So that's a tough one. But if we sniff that out, that's a ban too. It's all about just trying to make sure that people respect the marketplace that it is there to be, buy and sell online businesses. We know that people use Flipper for research. That's not a problem, right? Of course, people come in and they want to know what it looks like, what a good e-commerce business looks like, what a good content site looks like. And we encourage that. It's there for that purpose. Ultimately, we're built by entrepreneurs for obvious reasons, of course, and we understand what it takes to build a great online business so people can come in and have a look at that. The other products we released, one's called Flipper Invest and the other one's called The Off Market. The Off Market is essentially Flipper attempting to map the world of digital assets. And some people will suggest that there's hundreds of millions of online businesses around the world, and certainly we believe there is. And so what we're doing is we're trying to understand the performance of those assets, whether they've listed on Flipper or not. And so every night, our mapping takes over. And so we're mapping a couple of thousand assets each evening, and we're trying to understand those. We're trying to understand their relationship to each other. We're trying to understand who owns them. 
we're trying to understand if they've ever been traded or sold before. We're trying to understand the subject matter that the business is about. And that then forms essentially a business development tool for buyers out there who can express intent. And if they express intent, we know enough about these businesses that we can then uh, solicit and tell these business owners that there's a buyer interested. And so it's one thing to Let's dive into that real quick. I come from the real estate world, right? And inside of real estate, one of the most lucrative places I found good deals are what we call expired listings. So there were two things. You could hide, and I'm a marketing nerd. My master's degree is in marketing. So I'm going to delve into this just a tiny bit. So in the real estate space, and I have not, I've yet to find this in the M&A space, but I'd love to find this. In a real estate space, I can just take any market, figure out who tried to sell their house on the last six months and it expired, it never sold. And then I can reach out to them and say, hey, if you're still interested in selling it, maybe we should chat. The other thing that it would be cool, and I'd love that on, on your side and or biz by sell and stuff, like show me the ones where they're out of contract now, they never sold. And chances are on biz by sell anyway, it's that because they talked to four brokers and took the highest, the guy that told them they could get the highest offer and their business isn't realistically worth what it worked its way up to. That said, having a realistic conversation and seeing how we can get the owner to where they want to be or need to be is still worthwhile. Same thing goes inside of this space. I would love the ability to say, like, here's a good one. Instead of just expired listings on Flippa, you're categorizing all these websites out there. And a lot of these are content-based, right? So they're producing content. I would like to know when I'm looking for B2B content, talking, writing, or anything in the small to medium business space. So they're talking about marketing, talking about software reviews. I've got a list of stuff I'm looking for. I would love to see, give me a list of websites that are on Google's first or second page, right? They show up in search results, but they haven't produced new content in six months. They're starting to lag on content, right? They're starting to fall off on producing stuff because those are the guys I want to reach out to is there's indications that they might be burned out and looking for something else to do. So it's a really important point, Ron, because... If you take Flipper's keyword search, mm-hmm. we see literally hundreds of thousands of keyword searches on Flipper each month. If you take SaaS, which is the number one searched keyword, we saw 38,000 people, 38,000 unique searches for SaaS in Flipper's search tool. Now, the problem is when you come to the Flipper on market, the actual marketplace, we might have maybe 100 SaaS businesses. But now with our off-market, we can add tens of thousands and actually figure out what it is that Ron wants out of a SaaS business. Similarly to your point, you want to look at something which is about dog beds. You type in dog beds and maybe on the marketplace, we've got two businesses that are actually actively for sale. But in the off-market, we might have 300. And so you can then express interest. And as a result of that expression of interest, we will then solicit, programmatically solicit the online business owner to say, look, there's a guy called Ron, he's based in California, he's good for the money, and he's looking for dog bed businesses. Would you be interested in talking to Ron? And we will basically circumvent our onboarding, bring that business owner directly into what we call our deal room. That business owner will see Ron and you will see the business owner and you'll ever say, hey, let's have a chat about your business. Now, maybe they sell it to you, maybe they don't, but at least you're now connected. It's interesting as I have a, just today, I have a small team whose their job is to do cold outreach for me on using sales navigator and a few other things for people who have content 
B2B content-based sites, I get a message from one of the executives at HubSpot going, okay, I don't think we're for sale. And I was like, that is way above and beyond. Like, I'm hoping to build something someday to, to sell them. So I had to like send an apology to him. He was a good sport about the whole thing. But like, okay, there's going to be some reevaluation of my selection criteria and retraining of my team of who to reach out to. You have quite a complex I would say mapping to try to understand whether something is in the wheelhouse or not. And we also try to predictively value it. So once you can predictively value, you should in theory avoid connecting with a HubSpot, which might be tens of billions of dollars in enterprise value versus something which might be anything from 50,000 up to 5 million. (laughs) And I was like, let me confess, I have a team that's reaching out, called reaching out to people who have DB2B content related businesses, and they should have never reached out to you. But I love that you guys are building that out and you have it in place and you're working on improving upon it because there's a huge value in that. There's things that happen in a much more mature market, the real estate market, that just those tools don't exist in the B2B or, sorry, M&A of small to medium business market. And yep. it's, I think it's you, you can tackle it inside of the online space because the data is reachable. And at some point, I think people might be able to take what they learn from what you guys do and do the brick and mortar side and have some of those tools built out in that space too, right? Especially yeah, in countries. I think the brick and mortar space is actually still quite untapped. I mean, BizBuy sells clearly the market leader there, but they don't exactly do a lot to help you understand an asset. They do a great job, don't get me wrong, but it's just that they haven't necessarily gone to the point where mapping the world of online businesses and giving you that instant ability to compare at your fingertips. A lot of it is the data is a lot more subjective to user input because we like in, in certain countries, like in Europe, they have that, what they call it company's house or something like that. It, your mandatory turn in the United States, if you're not publicly listed, you can, your books are your own. So there's no way to get in and see that. And there's no like SEO tools or something going to look at a brick and mortar company. We can make some estimations. Like if you, you can start learning an industry and say, okay, in this industry, it's typical of, if, they, if I can figure out how many employees they have, it's typical that, the revenue should be around $100,000 per employee. And you can That's make right. certain assumptions and usually they're close, right? But yeah. it's a reach, right? That's kind of how I probably got a hold of HubSpot on accident is I looked at X number of employees in the B2B content space and all that criteria matched and they haven't updated the fact that they're a multi-billion dollar company inside of their <laughs> sales navigator. So when I did the search on sales navigator for the team to reach out to, it fell in that room. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the, I, I want to jump, maybe we'll go back and forth a little bit here. Let's talk about Flippa Invest because that's something unique that you're doing. And I love both aspects of as an accredited investor, being able to invest in something like that. And or if you've got a business and you're growing it and you need some capital to grow it, it looks like you have, you're doing matchmaking for those, those two individuals, right? Yeah. So it's a really interesting uh, positional move for us. And it's come as a result of market demand, really. So Flipper's in a unique position that we see a couple of thousand online businesses each month. And so we understand where they're at in their life cycle. And of course, Flipper's core business, our marketplace to buy and sell online businesses, that's clearly operating at a certain part of the life cycle. Designer wants to exit, prospective buyer wants to acquire, but so many other businesses are growing and looking to scale up through the use of growth capital. What people mostly forget is that accessing capital is actually reasonably difficult. And so if you are privileged 
if you are well-networked, if you are Ivy League educated, if you are based in San Francisco, you can probably tap into a network of investors relatively quickly and introduce your concept and get a seat at the table. That doesn't mean you will raise, but at least you get a seat at the table. If you're not well-networked, how do you get access to growth capital? And so it's difficult, but there's so many good quality businesses around the world and there's so many very high quality accredited investors in the US that when we were looking at business owners coming through our valuation experience and asking them, it sounds like you've got a fantastic business here. Would you actually be interested in raising growth capital? We had such an overwhelming response to people who said, yeah, I mean, my options are limited because I'm unlikely to be a unicorn. I don't have the scale or the market size, the target addressable market to, to scale to the moon and back, but I can build a great quality, big thriving online business, BD, commerce, SaaS, app or other. I would love to get access to an accredited investor who was willing to put in some growth capital, perhaps as low as $100,000 and perhaps as high as maybe $2.5 million. And so then we went into our buyer network. We call it the buyer network, but in fact, they could just as easily be investors. And so we went into that network. And for about 18 months, we collected data. Now, we don't usually operate that slowly. Flipper works at warp speed. But it was the type of initiative where we wanted to have very, very strong conviction about what we were doing. And so 65% of Flipper's US buyer base said that they had the appetite to invest rather than acquire and operate. And of course, that makes sense, right? Because there's only so many people who have the time to operate, but there's many people who have dry powder for want of a better description that they mm -hmm. might want to deploy into an asset class, which is not overvalued, which is not speculative, which is so easily accessible, right? If something's been growing 10% month on month for the last 12 months, bet your bottom dollar that next month it's also growing 10%. With our data connection, we should be able to provide access to some sense of how that asset will perform over time and essentially predict investment returns. And so now, and we're at the very beginning, there's only seven opportunities live on the Flipper website. And we'll go from seven to 70 and then 70 to 700 in, in very short order. But we wanted to get it off the ground such that someone like a Ron can look at a business for example, right now, there's America's biggest yachting community and market and sharing marketplace on, on the investment side. And so Ron can say, hey, this is cool. I want to put a quarter of a million dollars into this marketplace. I don't want to operate, but I love yachting. I love what they're up about. Their unit economics stack up. They've got good opportunity to grow. And I'm going to put whatever, $100,000 in. I'm an accredited investor and I'll sit on the cap table by way of a special purpose vehicle. And so now Flipper has, offers people the opportunity to not only buy and sell, which is our core business, but also raise and invest. It's interesting because I think you're going to get a lot of opportunity there when you do your cold outreach, right? You're off market. Because yeah. I know in my cold reach, I get a lot of responses like, I'm not ready to sell. I want to grow this a lot more before I do. Are you interested in investing? At this stage, I'm kind of like, I'm not interested in investing in anything I don't control, right? 
But at some time, like, and that's just because I'm in acquisition mode of some of these other projects and I'm going to keep my powder dry. But as soon as I get them up, run in, they're generating revenue. It's the same thing as real estate. In investing in real estate or on business, you're going to have one or two problems. You either got more capital than opportunities or more opportunities than capital. So when, and the pendulum switches back and forth. So as I do these acquisitions, they're 23 and 24 are probably going to be my years of building the online content stuff. But as that starts to run and they start generating where I, what I'm planning for them to generate, that money has to, I don't believe in leaving money idle. Yeah. I used to joke around when I was doing real estate saying I had a house buying addiction, which meaning that if there was more than a few, if there was more than 30 or $40,000 sitting around on one of our accounts, hey, that's a down payment. Let's go get another one. We really, I don't, you know, money are soldiers and we don't let the soldiers sit idle. But I think when you're reaching out to this off market and you're saying, hey, I got interested in buyers, you're going to get a lot of responses. It's like, yeah, I'm still wanting to grow this quite a bit cool. Are you looking for capital? And then especially when you start, it's an ecosystem. You're building an ecosystem here and it's something unique uh, in the space that um, an investor like myself could either buy something or go, Hey, <laughs> I kind of like the whole yachting thing. We want to buy it at some time. Like I'm helping one or two little content businesses right now. And with this whole intent that I've already told the owners, like when you're burned out on this, let me know. Cause I probably, I want to be in the loop of when you want to sell it. I may not be your buyer, but I do want to look at it and I'll probably make an offer, right? And that's just because I like what they're building. I'm going to help them build something I want to buy later, right? It's a synergistic, what's the word I'm looking for? Symbiosis or whatever. We're helping each other. Like they do something, I do something. We're in the same market space. So why not help them? So one day when they're burned out and don't want to do it anymore, I might want it. That's exactly the thesis here, right? So one person can invest, they facilitate, they assist great quality business to continue growing. And then, of course, the marketplace comes back into play when that person may want to sell in the future. And so to some extent, you've got the ecosystem. You're also able with the data connections to provide almost a portfolio management tool back to the investors so they can see on any given time, literally by the minute, they could actually see how many orders their investment has taken over the last 30 days or whatever it might be. It all kind of comes together. So when you ask what has Flipper been up to, like everything is there to fit a part of the jigsaw puddle. Now I'm curious, like what's on the horizon? Like we both know we're recording this show. So by the time this comes out, it'll be a few weeks out. Is there anything on the horizon that you're going to be, might be announced by the time this show's out or shortly after that? Yeah, thank you for asking the question. I mean, the most exciting thing for us is we have a lot of buyers and the problem we need to solve is buyers finding what they want. And we've clearly just spoken about off-market invest and that's super cool. But what we know is that when a buyer comes to Flipper, it's not like you wake up every morning for the rest of your life and think, oh my God, I better check on what check what's on Flipper today. Yet, so all these buyers come on and then they drop off at least for some period of time. Ron comes on and lists his business and he missed all of those buyers who had come before. And so what we're actually building is what we call an invite engine. And imagine you're in a situation where you can say, wow, there's the network of buyer opportunity for my business. And instead of doing what Flipper does today, which is just match you where the buyer is currently interested and the buyer then inquires, you'll be able to see the universe of buyers that have ever been on Flipper that makes sense for you. And you'll be able to pitch those buyers and invite them to come and look at your business. They will then get an SMS, obviously on an opt-in basis only, and they will get an email. And so Ron will say, hey, Blake, Flipper tells me that you've looked and or bought businesses similar to mine in the past. I would like to invite you to come in and check it out. 
And so that will be live by the time we're on it. So that's the invite engine internally. We call it a demand generation builder. And we're really excited about that. It actually looks very cool because you've almost, you're sitting inside your deal room as a business owner. And on the left-hand side, you've got all those active inquiries. And on the right-hand side, it says Flipper recommends pitching this cohort. Now, of course, it'll be anonymized. We won't show you, we won't tell you, give away public information or sensitive information, but we've got a way to anonymize that and give you the opportunity to invite directly. And we think that's going to be a really, really fun tool, but we also think it'll help business owners sell. I think it will. If you think about it, like even going back to my, what I know, right? The real estate space, we bought and sold many homes. I won't say the number here just because I don't like bragging about it, but it's big. We were from 2008 till 2017, you know, dozens, hundreds. And I could walk in a house and within seconds go, okay, not for me. Right. But I'm still going to make an offer on it because I know this is a, I know all the buyers in town. I had such a rapport with all the other investors in town that I knew if I bought it at a certain price that somebody else would buy it from me and I can make a few dollars off of it or whatever. So kind of advanced wholesaling, but I just walk in there. I would restructure. In that case, I could restructure how I bid on the house because I knew like our buying criteria back then was we didn't move walls. We didn't do major like reconstructions. We needed major foundation issues or walls needed to be moved because some people build houses that are just not logical. They just don't lay out right. I just didn't do that. So I walked through and I knew who did. So I would walk through and go, okay, yeah, well, so here's our offer. And I just knew who I was selling it to already. When people come to you and bring businesses, you're building this portfolio and there's going to be repeat buyers. There are going to be guys like me that are building a holding company of multiple assets. And as you learn that and have that insight, because you're collecting all the data, I could very well see that you would have the best insights. Like, hey, Ron, check out what just came on the market. Real estate guys do it. You can almost mirror a lot of what you do right off of the, uh, the advanced side of MLS in the United States. Because in yes. a real estate portfolio, I can give them an exact criteria of what I buy. And I get automated. Somebody lists a property that matches my criteria, it'll just email me. It's like, hey, somebody listed something that matches your exact criteria. You probably should go take a look. Yeah, totally. One, we do spend a lot of time, obviously, looking at real estate and what people have achieved there because there is some analogy. It is a little bit analogous. But the data is so powerful that we sit on and we historically haven't leveraged that. And so that's what we're talking about here, right? Because we can say, here are X number of buyers who have looked at content websites in the whatever. I don't know why it keeps on coming up. Dog beds. <laughs> so content websites, dog beds niche. All right. But we can also say content websites, anything animal niche or content websites, anything sport niche or mental health niche. And so you'll find that buyers, whilst they have reasonably constrained mandates, they're not super, super specific. And so people will be willing to go outside their mandate as long as the asset is a good quality asset. And so we can organize all of that data and ascertain a very, very large, accurate pool of prospective buyers for you. And so rather than being reliant on the 50 to 55,000 active buyers on the platform at any given time, we can actually be reliant on our millions of buyers that we have access to and become a very, very proactive business development resource on behalf of the business owner looking to sell. And we, of course, we do that using our tech and our platform. We're excited by that. The thing that I love about it is just, it almost becomes like a directory showing the mix of buyers in the universe. And the mix is actually quite outstanding. I mean, we've seen business owners sell $5 million businesses who they thought would be a great fit for an institutional and strategic buyer. And of course, they've inquired. But then a high net worth comes in who you would never under, you would never know, you've never heard of them anywhere. 
and they've got a portfolio of assets very similar. They come in and sweep it up. They do an all-cash deal. They operate very quickly. And so our job on behalf of a business owner is just to drive an efficient sales process. And so we keep on engineering around that. Now, if you look at the uh, search criteria, there's a couple of things come to mind, right? Search is inherently advanced. Uh, there's, you've got all this data to sort through, and there's so many different ways to do it. If, if you look like Elon just bought uh, Twitter, and he brought on some guru hacker guy to fix their search. He, like it's, It was a challenge. The guy challenged him. I don't know if you heard the story, but the guy challenged him. He's like, I think I can fix it. I, I don't even want to get paid. Just pay me a living stipend. And this guy's like world-renowned hacker guy. I can't remember the guy's name. And Elon says, okay, let's come on in here. So for like 12 weeks, you give him 12 weeks or so to do it. He's paying him a couple grand for a week for a living stipend expenses where he's at in San Francisco. And then maybe, I don't know what they're going to get on the back end, some stock or something, but he's in there fixing the algorithm. It's not an easy tackle thing to tackle. It takes some advanced stuff. But once you get it done, right, if you think about, I go back to my marketing thing. And the reason I wanted to do this is um, if I was on a list of like I give you my exact criteria and weekly, monthly, or on any given time, you say, hey, here's the things that closely match your criteria. That list could be monetized. If you look at the way that like flyers and mailers and marketing advertisements have been used over the years, you remember here in the United States, I don't know if you get them in Australia, but you get your monthly or weekly thing. It's an insert into the newspaper. Or it's a mailer to your house. It has Walmart or one of the local shopping store, and it's got all the ads. What other people don't understand is, and I'm dating myself because this comes from back when I was doing my master's degree and 2007 or so. One of the things we were taught is those are profit centers for those places. Levi pays money to go on sale and be in the front page of their ad. So yeah. the advertisement itself is a profit center. Your newsletters and stuff like that could become a profit center for Flippa. And the mm -hmm. fact that other people would be, you've got such a huge user base. And in markets you're not going to go into or not already in, you could say, hey, here's somebody we trust. They would pay for that subscription. You could have another revenue source and you're yeah. giving us valid data. I'm so used to seeing at least one or two placements in every newsletter letter I've got, right? Yeah. And I'm actually looking at buying newsletters and starting one of my own, but they're a lot easier to, <laughs> to monetize than these podcasts are. So, but I just, there's so much opportunity there. You guys are right on the top of it. You're the biggest. I'm really encouraged to see where it goes and where you guys are taking it. Yeah. Look, I appreciate you saying that. We've always agreed that email notifications are, they're the thing that get, gets the best cut through and it's quite extraordinary I think we send out 290,000 alerts a day, purely on an opt-in basis only. What is incredible is the open rate, the click-through rate, and the engagement generally with those newsletters. So yeah, for everyone out there who's sort of thinking about this space, newsletters are still a tried and true method for communicating with a customer. Customers tend to like it as long as the content's very relevant. And we agree that if we can actually figure out a way to make those more personalized and more accurate over time, then they can be leveraged by us in many, many ways. But better than that, they can actually help small business owners sell faster. Oh, yeah. So now I'm glad I made it all the way through my notes. So how about story time? And I love good stories. We've talked back in June. Has anything really occurred? You guys sold something really cool? Or have you had like a major listing, the biggest, like a new biggest goal or, or the new craziest website or online product you've actually helped work? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Let me just, uh, I have this list I call the top 100 and it just gives me ideas around this stuff. There's always some interesting ones. I, I can't recall whether I alluded to this one last time, but we sold a, a GDPR compliance blog. And so it sounds funny because for most people, the subject matter would be considered quite boring. But it would, all it was, just to give some people some confidence and context around how efficient and profitable blogs can be, it was a 13-page website 
and each page was obviously an article and those articles were orientated to GDPR privacy and compliance governance. Of course, after the the European law change, the blog took off. I mean, we're talking about five or six years ago now or whatever that was, but point being is for a very long time, the business has been an extraordinarily stable performer and reputable resource for everyone looking to understand DPR compliance. Point being, though, is it was a solo operation, one-man show, only really updated the content as required based on any law reform. Running at a very, very high profit margin, Google AdSense revenue generating and sold for $5.2 million. The gentleman who is, if I remember correctly, maybe Australia or New Zealand based, he was of an age where he was considering retirement. He'd sat on this business for about 13 years, was obviously making a very tidy profit, ended up achieving an eight or nine times multiple on earnings. And I love that story. I love it for a few reasons. I love it for the global nature that is Flipper. So he was based here in the Southern Hemisphere and he sold to a publisher in Florida. I love it for the fact that he has now got a good check, a damn good check that he can now utilize for his retirement. I love it for the fact that it shows the diversity of topics, subject matter that you can build a business around. And sometimes the most boring businesses are the most profitable and most lucrative and most suitable for a potential acquirer. So take that and consider that as you think about building out something, if you are doing that. We love being a part of those stories. So hopefully that was a good one for you. I like it. And I love the simplicity of, as like you said, it was a 13 page website, right? You don't have to have a thousand pages or 1500 or 2000 pages of content to actually have something that is of value. Right? Yeah. You just have to have, you have to create value in the market space. So what they did is they tackled something that was very relevant in the time and going to be relevant, very relevant in the future, a topic that needs to be dealt with and uh, right place, right time, right? Because um, for probably a half a dozen sites out there that cover that topic now, he just got traction on his before others did. Exactly right. It's exactly right. Cool. So how do people find out more about you or more like if you want to reach out to you, have you on their podcast or want to work with you on a particular project or they've got a major purchase they want help with, who do they reach out to inside of Flipper to do that? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. I mean, the first thing I would say is if you've got a good quality asset, we do represent businesses as low as $10,000 and up to as high as $50 million. We've got a universal buyer base, private equity, family offices, high net worths, and of course, just acquisition entrepreneurs. Best thing to do is check out the valuation tool for sure. That's It's free. It's quick. It take, gives you an indicative valuation based on our historical sales data. If you need my help specifically, I'm very accessible. I respond to everyone. So that's Blake, B-L-A-K-E at Flipper, F-L-I-P-P-A.com. I'm reasonably active on LinkedIn as well. So feel free to connect and say hello. Say that you heard me on your show, Ron. And uh, yeah, love connecting with everyone. I'm very happy to help. It's a it's a space that requires community assistance and help from everyone. So I'm here to do that. Sounds like you got one heck of a team over there too. Do you guys have a team? If somebody's going to acquire multiple assets, do you have a team that you'll, to not just work on the website, that you do personal interaction with any of the teams? Like, hey, we're an accredited buyer. We're a family office. We're buying 15 different content sites or 15 different e-commerce stores. We're doing a roll-up, whatever. It's a bigger project. It's a multi-million dollar project. Do you have a team that works with those type of individuals? Yeah, it's a good question because we've our team structure is backflipped. So we're essentially pure play, pure play tech. And now we're, our biggest team is our sales and advisory team. And so they're there to help people with valuations. They're there to help people buy. They're there to help people sell. 
there's an advisory network globally which will operate as a conduit between buyer and seller, particularly as you get up into higher value businesses, you need that support. And so we've got SaaS experts, e-com experts, content experts, and app experts. We also, to your point, Ron, we do have buyer managers. And so those buyer managers will take on a mandate and just go hunting. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate having you on here today. Don't want to hold you. I know you have some places to be, so thank you for being here. I, I had fun. So we'll call that a show. You again, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now